Hello and welcome to another episode of Sporte. As always, I'm your host who puts the Tay in Sporte, Taylor. Boy, do we have a massive episode lined up for you. In the studio with me today is Essendon's Zachary Merritt. Zach was drafted by Essendon as number 26 in the 2013 National Draft. He's been incredibly important for the club and has played 121 games for the Bombers. This young Bomber has become one of the side's greatest leaders in his six years at the Essendon Football Club. The Ball Magnet was a rising star nominee in 2014 and was a 2017 All-Australian. Just to mention a few of the awards he has received. Wow, well, what an introduction. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Taylor. Before we get into it, can you tell us three facts about yourself that we probably don't know? (laughs) Three facts about myself. Um, I've got a dog, uh, a golden retriever dog that's three and a half called Maya. Very cute. I can say I've got a golden retriever as well, so I'm liking you as the interview goes on. Secondly, uh, most people probably know, but they don't. I love, actually love cricket more than I love footy, and I'm a Cleveland Browns supporter in the NFL over in America, so pretty keen for the season to get started. So now we know that you've got three loves in your life your dog the cricket and the nfl let's get started you joined the club pretty much right at the start of the supplement saga what was it like on the inside of the club yeah it was a bit of a strange uh, i guess start to my journey i obviously got picked up picked 26 to play alongside my brother which was a huge thrill at the time and being young and naive i guess when i walked into the door and seeing all the cameras and and uh, tv stations out the front i assumed that that was how it was to be at an afl club was until probably years later i realized that that was only because the supplement saga was live and well and truly uh i guess the forefront of most people's mind in Australia so yeah it was a weird start inside the four walls obviously guys were were struggling a fair bit and going through uh, a lot off the field as well so I think it not only affected the players involved but especially the staff members that were there at the time as well as as the family members and and close friends to all those people so yeah it was a bit of a, a weird introduction to AFL footy. Did the media feel like the enemy at the start? They probably felt like the enemy for the most part. It felt like there was a, a new story popping up every second day um, that didn't put the players uh, in a good light. So that was pretty disappointing. I think a lot of players probably to this day still uh, get frustrated and annoyed by the media. Do you think if you knew about the supplement saga before being recruited by Eston, would you still assign to the club? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was a, a great, great amount of adversity to walk into and, and something that, although it's been challenging at times, I can't even begin to to, I guess, question as to, to how it, how it would have been for those guys that actually went through the, the full supplement saga. I was just someone who was, was fortunate to, to be there and hopefully lend a support to those guys. So you mentioned your brother. He actually got drafted two years before you in 2011. What was it like for him? Yeah, it was, it was different. He was, uh, I guess, unlucky but fortunate not to be one of those 34 guys that were suspended for a season but um, he was obviously there throughout the whole process so yeah again it was a strange time for him and something I remember him uh, my mum and dad constantly talking about you know always checking with how he was going and I think he probably looks at footy in a different light than he probably would have if he didn't go through the whole saga but yeah he's got a I guess a great life story to talk about and um, you know I think formed some great bonds and, and great friendships from that period as well. What is it like playing with your brother that's so lucky to actually share the light with a family member? Yeah it is uh, I guess growing up it was always in the backyard playing footy and cricket and I think it was uh, my first game I was the sub but to run out next to him at Etihad Stadium at the time against the Roos for my first game and, and to play with my brother was something that was very special and my parents to be there my grandparents and, and close family and friends to, to see us play together was awesome and um, I guess I just look back and, and really enjoy the, the moments we had pre-game kicking the ball to each other and then um, yeah, obviously running out and celebrating and singing the song together is pretty special. Before you 
and your brother played for Essendon. Were you always an Essendon supporter? No, I definitely wasn't. I was a massive Bulldog supporter growing Bulldogs. up. Bulldogs! Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I've seen a lot of prelim finals growing up and um, obviously got very close to grand finals but couldn't quite get there in the sort of late, uh, I think 2008, 2009, they got really close but couldn't quite get over the line. So your older brother Jackson, he was actually delisted last year. Did the club tell you he was going to be delisted? Uh, yeah, he, he uh, had well, he had seven seven years on the list and played 50-odd games. So, you know, he achieved a great deal on that time, but I think it was it was right the right time for him and for the clubs to sort of part ways. And he was pretty honest and forefront and found out, I think, before the season even ended. So everyone within the organisation, himself, and obviously our family and friends were aware of that. And you know, he was pretty keen to know early so he could organise his life and, and plan for life after footy. So that worked out pretty well. So you were signed in 2013, it's now 2019. These last few years at Essendon, how's it mentally changed for you? Yeah, I guess the, the first year or two at the AFL Footy Club for me personally was just about trying to get a game, I guess, and trying to earn the respect, particularly of the, I guess, the best players and the leaders of the club in Dyson Heppel, Joe Watson, Brendan Goddard, and guys like that. You just want to try and impress them. And I guess after that period, yeah, you're trying to cement a spot in the team and, and be a consistent player for the Bombers. And then from that now, it's more around the leadership side of things and, and mentally trying to be able to bring guys along with me and, and bring guys to, to play the way that we want to play consistently to try and, uh, I guess, succeed as a team and we haven't had much success the last 10 to 15 years as a club so it's a, it's a pretty exciting time uh, going forward. How was it playing in 2016 the top up year for Essendon Football Club? Yeah it was it was just a really strange year I think we were at training early January we yeah, went home uh, knowing that the decision was the next day uh, so there was, what was there 40 44 guys and I think of that stage was probably still 12 on the list uh, at the time and the next day we I remember we went into the club pretty early and the decision was made I think in Switzerland or somewhere in Europe so it was early in Australia at the time and we sat around in the meeting room and the the players that were potentially going to be suspended they met off-site together somewhere that I'm actually not sure where they were but they went and met together and the decision obviously came through that they were going to be suspended for 12 months so initially it was just shock and a lot of tears and emotion raw emotion uh, up front I guess we didn't know if we're going to play that year at all at at that stage because we're obviously losing 12 of our best players and and also Joe Watson yeah our captain was gone our vice captain Dyson Apple was gone so a lot of unknowns immediately but that day we all gathered together at uh, someone's house and I think those boys had a fair few beers and obviously debriefed what was a pretty emotional time for them and a lot of unknowns I guess were their next 12 months also so that was I guess the initial layout of what happened but then following that the club obviously was pretty quick to go and recruit some retired players or guys that had been delisted or guys playing VFL and we put together a rough 35 to 40 guys that were pretty committed to trying to I guess play a brand of footy that was going to provide I guess hope and optimism for the 12 guys that were suspended and that was I guess the whole year was about it was about building a platform for those guys to to come back and I guess that's all we tried to do Brendan Goddard led from the front as, as the captain that year and was awesome and really showed I guess the young players what it takes to be an elite player and I think being able to get I think 10 out of those 12 guys come back and sign with the club was a massive win and although we didn't win many games it was something that yeah I guess I look back with some really fun memories around how we did perform. Do you think it brought the team closer together? Yeah, it did. It was it was a really strange season though, and you got twelve guys who know that they're this is their one and only year at the club. They know that they're going back to nine to five work the next year. Now, I've obviously got some some players who are really trying hard to cement a spot, knowing that potentially their spot will be gone the following year when you know Joe Watson, Dyson Heppel, and these guys get back. So it's a bit of a strange year. But uh, John Worsfold and, and as I said, Brendan Goddard were somehow able to really get us together and got a really close knit group. We spent a lot of time together off the field as well, and I thought the club handled themselves tremendously through that period to ensure that we were competitive. And I thought the fans really rallied behind us as well, which was awesome considering we lost I think seven. 18 games in a row so yeah although we uh, didn't win many we were certainly competitive in most. You were only 20 
at that stage. So you were still so young and you actually captained that year, a match against the Gold Coast and you ended up winning it. How special was that? Yeah, that was a, it was a real whirlwind. You know, you, I guess you you grow up playing footy, dreaming of being a captain of an AFL side. So that was the same for me. Um, and you were just 20 years old. Yeah, that's, it came as a bit of a shock. I mean, three years earlier, I was pretty much trying to, to win a baggy green and not worried about footy, but it changes pretty quick. And that week, I think Brendan Goddard had torn his adductor or something that week. And there was obviously a vacant spot as captain. And John Worsfold pulled me into his office and asked if, if I wanted to captain that week. And I think I had sweaty palms and was nervous and in a bit of shock. And obviously said yes and jumped at it. And I was very fortunate to have some other uh, really close mates in Joe Danaher and Orazio and, and guys like that really get behind me and I didn't really feel any different on the day apart from uh, flipping the coin and, and letting the boys out. Were you nervous flipping the coin? Yeah I was. I um, I was telling the boys the other day I remember I uh, I think uh, we were at home, so I didn't get to call, but I hadn't even thought about which way we were going to go. You know, there's, I think there's a roof Eddie had, or <laughs> there's no wind, but um, yeah, I was definitely nervous. And you practised it? No, nah, I didn't practise, but... Um, you was going to wing it on the day? Yeah, I just winged it, yeah. <laughs> but then after that match, you were then named vice-captain in 2017. What are the extra duties and responsibilities that come with being a captain at an AFL football club? Yeah, being a uh, name vice captain, I think I was yeah, as you said, twenty one was a, again a bit of a weird feeling. It was something that I definitely aspired to and, and wanted to help and lead. I guess the Essendon Footy Club as as a whole back to success, and not only the players and the organisation, but the fans as well. So that was a huge honour and um, something I did, definitely didn't take for granted. But in terms of extra extra dues, there's not there's not too many. There's obviously a few more meetings and appearances that have to be done. But ultimately, it's just about performing and being authentic and being myself. And yeah, you know, we were well led by Dyson Heppel as captain and he's a super authentic guy and someone that we love uh, following so yeah for us it's it's just about promoting everyone as a leader and it's everyone playing their role. So you've had five straight wins from round 15 to 20 this season and the media is calling for your coach's head despite still in a position to play finals. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah it's, it sort of seems to be the industry we're in at the moment you know, to see four coaches already sacked before round 23 is a bit of a weird thing to be going on but I think the industry seems to be gunning for coaches that are normally aren't in the top eight although we were teams that have had a coach for three or four years and haven't tasted success seems to be under the pump so yeah I guess that's just reality and we know that 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 floats about in the media and I have full faith that John will be our coach next year and full faith that everyone's behind him he's, he's got the runs on the board as a coach and he's someone that we, we really love since he came in in 2016 I think he set the platform for sustained success going forward so yeah it's a bit of a strange one when you, you look at the and you're sitting seventh and your coach is under the pump but John's such a level-headed calm guy that you know I've got full faith that it wouldn't affect him at all. Are you excited for finals? Yeah I'm excited yeah um, yeah it's, it's exciting I mean not only for, for us as players but for fans to hopefully come and, and cheer on the Bombers is awesome but yeah as, as a player that's, that's all you play for you want to taste success and that's certainly something that we haven't done in the past so any chance we get at finals is certainly something we'll take. You did say that it's been a while since the Bombers have won a, a flag do you think the team are aware of that fact as the season gets to the pointy end? Yeah, I think you'd certainly be certainly be aware of that. I think every club knows, also, I guess, their history, and it's something that's obviously celebrated and, I guess, educated to all younger players when they walk through the doors. So we're certainly aware of that, but it won't have any influence or impact on the way we play come finals time. What do you do differently come finals time? To be honest, we haven't really got to experience it much, so we don't actually know. I think we'll uh, just embrace the the time and embrace what it is uh, what it is and just try and play the way that we've played throughout the year knowing that it's held up in majority of games and just uses a real experience and hopefully we can get it right at the right time but yeah I think it's just an exciting time as a club. Yeah so you've been in the league for six seasons now and you've played 
to finals. Are you growing patient for final success? Yeah, I guess you do, but um, obviously realistic around you know the, the six years that I've had has been very indifferent with obviously the situations we talked about earlier and the scenarios that we found ourselves in, but you certainly do. That's, that's why we play, and, and we know that an AFL lifespan doesn't last forever. So you look at teams like Hawthorne before us and Richmond and, and Bulldogs a couple of years earlier, they've tasted it, and it, it certainly makes you envious of what they went through. You talked about Joe Danaher just before. He actually had a meeting with Sydney CEO Tom Harley for a coffee. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I... Uh, you know, there's so many great characters and personalities in our game and in, in the industry, whether that be players, coaches or, or staff and admin. So, yeah, I'm sure Joe and, and Tom have had a relationship for a long period of time and Joe was up there obviously seeing his surgeon and, and made the most of that trip. So, um, yeah, I'm all for that. I think a lot of guys would catch up with people from opposition teams and different industries as well. So I'm all for learning and, and development outside the game. You've had a huge career so far and I'm sure you've got a huge career ahead of you. You've been through a lot of obstacles. What do you hope to achieve next? It's all about a premiership. That's all it is. That's why we play. That's why I play. Um, you know, that's why all the hard work that goes in in the off-season and pre-season and throughout the year. And I guess getting to run out with your teammates and, and tasting a bit of success would be awesome. But yeah, ultimately it's about striving towards winning a premiership hopefully uh, in the next couple of years but certainly before I retire. Yeah, hopefully you've got many years yeah, left exactly. in the tank. What, you're only 24 years old? 23. 23 years yeah. old and you've already got, what, you've, you've got so many awards. You've got 2017 All-Australian absolutely killing the game. What is your advice to the kids out there trying to make it in football? I think the biggest one and advice we always give it get asked to give advice to kids and on all our appearances in school clinics and stuff we go to and I think the biggest one is around having fun especially when you're younger enjoying footy for what it is and that's something that it can be lost at times at the AFL level to, to actually enjoy playing the game and, and put it into perspective why we do play when we're younger so fun and enjoyment would be definitely number one and then number two is obviously to work hard there's no secret recipe to get into the AFL or playing well at the AFL level it's all about hard work and, and dedication to, to learning and uh, listening to your coaches and parents around what they can give to you as advice so hard work and I guess just have fun. What advice can you give to kids about dealing with the whole being a professional athlete mentally because it does take a mental toll especially in recent weeks a lot of AFL players have retired or are taking time for mental health issues. Yeah it's started to be uh, I guess at the forefront of everyone's mind which is fantastic and I think all clubs and, and the AFL are putting in more and more resources and funds to support these areas so that's that's fantastic I guess for, for kids growing up and, and watching that on the news and seeing that in the paper and I guess wondering what it is actually like well, I think it's something that you, you dream of doing and you want to play and it's not probably until you get to the club that you realise it is a genuine full-time job and the little things that come with being an AFL football are much more than just running out for the two hours on a Saturday so um, I guess preparing yourself for, for really being a 24-hour athlete and being in the limelight for probably more, more times than you'd want is something that comes with it but obviously the enjoyment of playing on Saturday outweighs all those negatives and I'm certain that the clubs have great resources in place to deal with these incidents as well. Let's move on and speak about something you're passionate about. So you were a huge advocate on standing up against sexism in football. In May, you actually wrote a great article for Fox Sports about your powerful pledge to stand up against gender equality. Can you go into that for us? Yeah, it was, it was a time around the, the Taylor Harris photo that got a bit of, I guess, coverage in the media and social media circles and everyone was having their own opinion on the piece. It did go viral. It did go viral, but yeah. But it went viral for all the wrong reasons. She was attacked online by online trolls and then the image was then taken down by the AFL and there was a massive dispute on gender equality there. Do you think that's kind of spurred you on to stand up for this? Yeah, I think it just, it was because it was so viral, it just sort of gave me the chance um, to, to think back and, and sort of just, un, I guess, discover what my thoughts or opinions were on the, on the scenario and 
the I guess or quality in footy in particular. So yeah, looking back, growing up playing with two females or two girls growing up um, who were two of our better players at the time, I guess it just made me think you know it's disappointing that they didn't get the opportunity to to strive towards something you know longer than playing just under 14s footy at the time. And it's great that we've got some social media presence to be able to get a little bit of my opinion out there. But it's only my opinion and it doesn't obviously stand up for much more than other people's. But yeah, it was great that the AFL community responded really really positively to my article and um, hopefully it gave those those girls and the AFL women a, a real voice to be heard. And in the article, you said that the image is more a cultural symbol than an action picture. Why is that so? I think the the picture, you know, it's it just stood out as um, you know what a what a great kick it was, and the flexibility that the women have is generally better than men. And you know, I think Taylor's kicking style is is typically better than what most men's is, and yeah, it's just a symbol of I think symbol of hope for, for young girls that are looking at that photo and looking at um, what Taylor's doing in in her space. And you know, I think the the standard of women's footy and girls' footy is just going to cons- consistently improve uh, as more and more girls participate at a younger age. So you know, we go out and into the community as AFL players and work with a lot. Of kids and uh, I guess five years ago when I started there was you're lucky to have two or three girls participating and now there's a full team with them so that's really exciting going forward. But what are your thoughts on the three-month season? So most of the players are still working full-time and aren't on a big enough salary to just focus on their football. It's a really tough balance you know obviously we love for for women to be full-time and that they can transition into that obviously understanding that there's a commercial side to, to footy as well and a marketing side of it that obviously needs funds to to fund that but um, I think the way in which the AFL are I think putting more time into that instead of AFLX next year is a massive massive bonus and a massive positive moving forward but um, you know it's obviously tough for those women who know that they could improve more if they were given more more time to work on their craft and their skills so I'm not sure what the solution is going forward but you know, hopefully they can get more and more time to, to work as full-time athletes instead of full-time uh, you know nine to five work and then to training after that now I'm not sure what that time period is but it'd be nice to get there sooner rather than later. I think in 2021 we're going to have equal women and men's teams. It'd be great. I think awesome. we uh, we put in for a licence but missed out last time round. But I'm confident with how big our club is and the facilities that we're building at the moment, we'll uh, be able to hold an AFL women's team, which would be awesome. So this year the AFLW Grand Finals played on a Sunday from memory and the first round men's game got prime position on that Saturday night. Do you think next season the AFL should reconsider this? Yeah, I think it'd be great if they could play in our bye round before round one and get all the limelight put on them for that game. It'd be nice to get a, a big crowd again like they did last year. I think there was 40,000 or something at Adelaide. Yeah, so, so I spoke to Tilly Lucas Rod a few weeks back and she played in the AFL Women's Grand Final over there in Adelaide and the men's Carlton team, they played on the Saturday night. And the funny thing was is they got more supporters on the Sunday for the women's game than they actually got for the men's game, which is yeah. very interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. Um, it just shows that the, there is interest in women's footy and you know, I have to watch Erin Phillips and the way she goes about it and how good she is and the way the Crows played last year was phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I think that as we as we get more and more um, you know, girls upskilling, I think the, the prime time should be put on them and, and give them the limelight the way that they play. In the article, you also said, people say we have two choices, to speak up or stay quiet. I disagree. I think I have three choices. I can stay quiet, which I will not do. I can speak up, which I am. But the third choice is to act, which I'll do to my best of my ability. How will you act to change this type of thinking? Yeah, I guess obviously one person can't sort of change everyone's opinion or view of things. But for me, it's just you know being being good at and actioning. I guess the way that I see things. So speaking out to it's obviously one thing you can do. Um, for me, it's just 
giving other people and, and almost forcing other people to think about them, themselves as well and, and having a bit of self-reflection around the, how they see the piece. So can't force everyone to action or to change, but I think the biggest part is just having people have some self-reflection time around how they see the issue and, and the impact of their decisions or their behaviours on, on this, this situation. What do you think the AFL needs to do to stop sexism in the game? It's a really hard one. Um, I think. It's, Sorry, I put you on the yeah, spot here, haven't I? <laughs> it's a hard one, I think. Um, you never want to come back in. <laughs> They're doing pretty well in terms of putting more and more resources into growing the game. I guess also local footy and grassroots footy is something they can keep honing in on and you know through umpiring and, and giving more and more girls and women a go in roles that have particularly just been men in the past. So I know growing up, it was always your dad goes and, and does umpiring, your mum goes to the canteen and helps out in there. And um, I think we can flip that a bit moving forward in grassroots footy and um, hopefully that, I guess, teaches and educates our kids, both boys and girls, around and uh, the equality within the whole organisation. So this week we launched a new segment called Ask the Athlete. We're trialling it on you, so you're, <laughs> you're like our little guinea pig. So we're allowing our fans to be able to ask you a question, to get them more involved and to give them the opportunity. We opened this up on our Instagram account and we got a lot of replies. We <laughs> Before we actually go into the replies, our regular co-host Hayden, who's actually at work, he said his mates described you as one of the best APS cricketers there was. Apparently you used to open the bowling with nippy seamers off six steps and then come on later and bolt officers. Is that true? Yeah, I was, I was a big cricket cricket nuffy as well growing up. and You did say played before a lot that more cricket, you yeah. liked cricket more than AFL. Played a lot more cricket than footy growing up and uh, yeah, playing at Melbourne Grammar was, was super fun in the APS from years, I was at year 10 to 12. So uh, I guess I always felt, got bored if I wasn't doing something in the game. So that's why I decided to bowl a bit of mediums and a bit of spin after that. Wait, why did you choose AFL and not cricket? Um, I guess I, I felt like cricket was probably going to be a bit hard to make. With only 11 spots in the Australian team, it's obviously very tough capable to make it that far and I think I just got bored of cricket after playing so much as a as a young kid and, and watching my brother get drafted two years earlier gave me a bit of motivation and I guess inspiration to try and uh, I guess copy him in a way and follow him in his footsteps absolutely smooth underscore Johnny on Instagram asked what's your favorite midnight snack favorite midnight snack <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do I go for? I think uh, ice cream is probably my thing, my outlet, the thing that I really love, but don't have too much of it. But yeah, I certainly love ice cream. So if I was getting home at midnight or I was uh, up at midnight, it'd probably be ice cream. Great choice. <laughs> do you have any um, chocolate sauce on top or sprinkles? Or are you just a plain type of guy? A little bit of uh, ice magic every now and then is probably my, uh, again, treat on top of the ice cream. Ruby Clifford on Instagram asked, what's your spirit animal and why? <laughs> spirit animal. Jeez, I, I love my dog that much. I'd say it's her. We uh, yeah, do a fair bit together. So um, her ability to sleep is unbelievable. And then she's uh, very energetic when we go to the park. So probably uh, my dog male. Jordan Todd on Instagram asked, will your next dog be a golden retriever or a different breed? I've had that thought a little bit. I think I'll wait a couple of years before I get another dog. But yeah, I probably would like to get another golden retriever. Dyson Apple's just got two. So I have to keep up with him. So Lily Mulcahy asked, what has been the most special moment in your career? Special moment, it's sort of hard to just pick out one. I think obviously your debut is something that you look back and um, I guess you have to pinch yourself thinking you actually played a game of AFL footy. But um, Were there nerves? Yeah, there was massive nerves. I was I was the sub in the green vest at the time, so it was a weird introduction to AFL footy. But uh, I think that 
biggest highlight was was probably the win in 2016 when we had all the guys suspended and we won at the MCG against Melbourne. Um, it was a very undermanned team and I guess the feeling in the crowd on that day was just awesome. What's been the funniest moment in your career? I guess when you when you make a big blunder you know, on the field, a bad kick or a bad handball in the crowd, you feel like he's laughing at you. It's always pretty funny. Yeah, probably missing missing a set shot in front of goal on the G in front of 70,000 against Richmond was pretty humiliating and um, something you, you want to try and find a, a shovel to dig a hole, but uh, just get on with it. After that moment, like, what do you feel? Because I know I watch it on TV and I'm like, oh, kick straight, but those easy shots are the hardest. Yeah, I guess especially the first couple of years, you're so nervous. I think that was my first year at the time and the game was really close, so I was extremely nervous. You look around and... You know, you see Trent Kotcher and Dustin Martin, all these great players um, from the opposition, and then your own teammates in Joe Watson, Brendan Goddard. It's it's just like you're pinching yourself out there. But I guess when you miss it, you're just really down on yourself when you're younger. But now I guess you just, you just move on really quickly because you know you're going to make mistakes and everyone does it at some point in time. Thank you so much, Zach, for coming on to our show today and actually talking about your experiences, what you've been through. We can't thank you enough. You've had so much success at the Eston Football Club. You're a great leader. You're only 23, so you've got so many more years ahead of you and we just can't wait to see how you go thanks for having me thank you thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of sport hey we'll be back next week with more